When was the last time you saw a truly great show? Was it at a festival or at a small, intimate club? What made the show so special? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Today, we host a roundtable entitled Turning Your Concert into an Experience in conjunction with Vortex Magazine. We'll talk to two promoters and a musician about the importance of putting on a great show and how to do it. It's all coming up on The Future of What. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Peter Clark from What the Festival, Chanticleer True from Shanti Darling, and Travis Labby from True West. Welcome, you guys, today. This is great to Thank have you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This yeah. is great. So today we are talking about how to turn your concert into an experience, <laughs> which really is not just as, as easy and obvious as it would sound. You know, obviously what we're trying to say is don't be boring. Don't put on a boring show. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to get started with you, Shanti, because okay. your band, I think, has done a great job, the kind of job that I think bands really need to do all the time, mm-hmm. in that everything that you put forward, like your press photos, your music, and your show, all sort of work together as a piece, and they're compelling. So it's like you wear interesting clothes. You you have this, like, when I see a, a press photo of you guys, I'm like, what is going on? Like, there's a story and I want to know the story. You know yeah. what I mean? How did right. you guys, I mean, did, was that just completely natural? That's just who you are? I would say Shanti Darling is a project that is an amalgamation of all of my previous experiences and was, I guess, finally the chance that I had to kind of take on full creative control in that aspect. So everything from the music to the look to the way that we've decided to move on stage and the staging and all of that, I've gotten to fully realize, I guess. So that is to say, I trust if someone has like a full like vision for something, maybe you should like give them a chance if you're playing in bands, you know, at least give it a try. I think that where people fall short a lot of times is kind of not being able to go full out with like an idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of limits shows sometimes. So I'm lucky in this regard that it's my project. So I get to do all of the things that I want to do. That's totally true. I mean, I was in bands for 10 years mm-hmm. and it is problematic. It's like you get in a band with somebody and it's like they don't have the same vision. Right. And that never works. It's like yeah. those are bands that eventually have a, an ending point. Totally. Because you just can't, you know, work together. And then like the, my last band that I was in, you know, we made albums, we toured, we did all mm-hmm. the stuff that you do. We're even on an independent record label, which I think we put out of business. I'm pretty sure that we destroyed them. <laughs> but, you know, it's like that band, like by the end, I wasn't even speaking to the lead singer anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. But we had that shared vision that made right. it possible to do it. Yeah. So it's like, it was kind of crazy. Totally. It's weird to be in a band. <laughs> it, this collaboration is yeah. powerful, but also can be really weird too. Totally. So Peter, when you're, when you're picking bands for mm-hmm. a festival... What do you look for in terms of their act, their live act? I mean, it really depends. You have the basic elements like, you know, what kind of lighting package do they have? What kind of lighting package do they require? Their actual stage show versus is it a DJ? For what the festival we are, pretty all over the map as far as the acts we like to curate. But our our bigger push these days is to try to make our concert experience more of, a, of an immersive environment than just a concert that you go to and attend. I think all of us have been to the big show or you've been and seen the show at whatever venue you like to go to. We have on our facility a number of stages. We have eight stages, some of which are very small micro experiences where folks can see an act that maybe they wouldn't see on a you know small side stage or something like that. But we try to really make the experience greater than just like a giant concert kind of vibe. So the act that we choose to do that really depends on which which type of vibe that they do. Did you kind of come to that as concert goers yourselves? Like we want a different kind of an experience from our from our festival? I think so. I think that, you know, with our event, it's definitely a challenge to to work inside an environment that's very tried and true. Many concerts, festivals, and, and events have a pretty standard formula, and so we've tried to change that by offering many, many experiences inside the, the one major experience. 
So if you go to What the Festival, you might actually see a bigger act on a smaller stage. Yep, you will. We've, our, our stages really go throughout the entire day. One of our stages is a giant splash pool that we built. It's a temporary waiting pool. And you'll see you know, an act perform there at, say, 3, 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And you may see another act you know, perform on our main stage in the typical kind of headliner slot, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And then in the evening time up into the late night hour, you'll find cool, you know, maybe an, a side project of a band of one of our headlining acts as a side project that's playing at our small, you know, easy speak stage or something down in the forest. But um, we try to you know, curate all across the desire. Oh, that's fascinating. So Travis, speaking of curating, you obviously in promotions have brought a lot of bands to Portland stages. So what yeah. do you what do you guys look for? I mean, what's what's sort of your philosophy in doing that? I think we look to just enhance what the artist is already coming, what their vision is. Many times when you're producing either a single concert or a festival, it's a fly date for the artist. So you're working with them to on their vision and, you know, working to provide the elements that maybe they can't travel with. And then also there, there are the budgetary aspects of that. That's a big part of my role is what can we do with the allotted budget to, mm-hmm. you know, to achieve the artist's vision for what they're trying to produce. And then on the flip side of that, we have a lot of clients that are festivals. And so, you know, much like uh, Pete was saying, like, you know, we're looking to achieve that client's vision for the festival, whether it be an experience that's off of a stage for the attendees or something like that, but kind of all ties together as budget, what their vision is, what's, you know, what's available in the marketplace, you know, what we can execute. So what have been some of your favorite acts to work with? Like, who do you think has a great concert experience at this point? Oh, boy, that's always a tough question. I get that a lot. Too. <laughs> well, it's subjective, you know. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, I, t- I tend to love bands that, that incorporate a lot of production. My background is in jam bands as, a, as an individual. When I was young, I attended a lot of jam band shows, so a lot of big light shows and things like that. It wasn't necessarily focused on a lead singer. It was the whole package. So I tend to to gravitate towards big lights, big video, big sound, anybody that's pushing the limits with that kind of production, I really enjoy working with. I'll say Tame Impala last year was one of my favorites at Music Fest Northwest. We provide production management and operations management to that festival. And and that really uh, was an impressive display as well as show. Duran Duran really impressed me too. And then Ice Cube was, of course, a big highlight from that festival too because he's just such a legend. So, so yeah, it's really um, kind of all over the map. So Shanti, for your stage in, in your career, you guys are doing kind of what your vision is. But like if you had, could, you know, had a bigger budget, mm-hmm. what, would, what kind of show, like what would you add oh, man, to there, make your... There'd be everything, you know, <laughs> like... We're, I think that we're doing, I have like some really awesome collaborators who are down to engage me and help make these visions come to life. And I love them all. I think we're doing just on a smaller scale what I would be doing if I had budget behind me. Right now we have dancers. I just did a New Year's Eve show and I had four backup dancers. There's live music elements a lot of the time. But one thing like you're saying with like festivals and trying to bring artists, bring their vision to life at festivals. Sometimes you can't travel with everything. So I have like two to three different formats that I can travel in as well to make it more adaptable, but to keep the heightened immersive experience there. So no matter what you're doing, but yeah, I think you should try to bring those elements to life, no matter if you have money or not during the time. And I think it's very, very possible if you're creative to be able to provide that full immersive show experience without money too. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, we have to, right? Or else <laughs> you have to, yeah. <laughs> people have to. The gymnast high above the ground Limbers are and falls timber down Ankles play and all tied Gymnast Long hands arrive 
Lanky Your long sister lass Waiting out This long light brigade Praying for snow A long time Lanky It long has arrived Through the tarlatan holes You've been slipping, been slipping away La-da-dum-dum And the weather will hold It's been ever so, ever so gray La-da-dum-dum Here as we're coming down We're sounding out It's a terrible, terrible tide As it lights upon your eyes And there on the motorway Reeks of marmalade It's a chemical, chemical kind As it lights upon your eyes Lights upon your eyes The boat's sun Calls upon the quail Compass gone He long has lost his way To light how shine To calm time The bird's sun Long has arrived Through the tarlatan hole Been slipping, been slipping away La-da-da-da And the weather will hold It's been ever so, ever so gray La-da-da-da And here as we're coming down We're sounding out It's a terrible, terrible tide As it lights upon your eyes But there on the motorway Reeks of marmalade It's a chemical, chemical kind As it lights upon your eyes Lights Find your eye Yeah.
was The Gymnast High Above the Ground by Colin Malloy. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. I think one of the most interesting things for me about live shows is when you feel really connected to the artist. Right. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things about social media these days is that it has provided kind of an opportunity for people to feel like they know a little bit about the artist and, and feel a little bit more connected. And so I think then when you see them on stage, it's like this more personal experience. Mm -hmm. But of course, it completely depends. I mean, I remember when I was, I don't know how old, long time ago, I saw Madonna at the Meadowlands or something. I mean, you know, like 40,000 people. I couldn't even see her. She was just like a dot on the (laughs) stage really far away. And I was so impressed with the production of that show because I am just way back here. And yet I feel like she's singing to me. And, you know, this spectacle, like I, I, it was just such an amazing spectacle. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, have we gotten to the point where now it's like so Vegas that we have to like go back down a little bit in, in production? I mean, like, where are we at right now? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Because I think of artists like Patti Smith came to mind, needs no production. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, an artist like that can just go into any size room and, and you're just captivated, you know, and then... So yeah, it's it's interesting that everyone is pushing the limits. I mean, hence the higher ticket price, but but yeah, it's more and more production is the thing now. It's more video, more lights, and you know, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and some elements, but then you do have the Patty Smith, the Neil Young, these other artists that just, you know, they don't really require anything to just pull you in and, and put on a great show. Also right. from the production standpoint, the technology just moving so fast oh, it's me, incredible yeah. that you know what used to cost tens of thousands of dollars you can get accomplished now and own for you know less you can yeah. go to china and get light fixtures or, or whatever you may do technology wise with you know apps and with social media and the reach of these artists like i, I love that an artist can go and play a small intimate show uh, for a small attendance and then go and turn around and go do a mega festival and really carry the vibe of of you know a huge show like you were saying like madonna does yeah I wonder though, Travis, I wonder if that's going to be, because I'm just thinking of what Peter said about that experience of have, of seeing a bigger artist on a smaller stage. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's going to be something that comes up in the future because I feel like we're getting to that point. It's like we might be overloaded and saturated on like an arena show. But, you know, what if you could see your favorite artist in a stripped down, you know, situation with a 250 seat venue? Like, I think a lot of people would really freak out about that. Yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be great. I'd love to incorporate something like that into Portland and to, I always think, you know, some of my favorite restaurants and just turning those into an intimate venue for an evening where mm. it's maybe a meal cool. is incorporated with mm-hmm. the experience, but mm-hmm. then you, you know, you get, to, awesome. get to see a small performance with somebody you love. And yeah, I, yeah. that would be great to see that come to, come to light. I find the artists want to do that a lot more than their managers. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely, right? Because they're looking at the bottom line and they're like, right. well, for 250 people, we can't make as much money as we can with 20,000. So right. Right. that becomes, yeah, that's, I feel like that's such a, that's such a funny line to cross because it's like you become this commodity at some mm-hmm. point and then your art is also it a commodity. Yeah. But a lot of what Shanti, what you guys are doing is that kind of breakout, you know, different experience in the concert that you don't get that when you get to the super higher level, you get anyway, just it's impressive to see what you guys have accomplished with um, that locally and, and regionally. Thank you very much. I would like to speak to what you were saying before about like, you know, the artists that you do see and they kind of can hold the space no matter if it's they have the full production or not. I think that's very important. I think that artists should seek to, I don't know, get more training or talk to other people or whatnot, because I think that it's important to be versatile. And I found that that's really helped us. There's artists like Little Dragon that I've seen several times. They're one of my favorites. And, you know, it might not be a full-on really high-value production a lot of time, but the show is always really, really great and really powerful. And they know how to draw you in just with, you know, their energy and kind of, like, commitment to connecting with the audience and how giving they are during the performance. So I think that's something that people can seek as well. It's just learning how to be a better performer in general also. Do you have any advice on how young musicians might do that? Because I think people probably want to do that, but don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I experience obviously, but I think that even here in Portland, you know, there's really great programs at 
PCC and Clackamas and some of the schools seeking training there. I've been seeing lots and lots of more online workshops about performance in general, getting involved in like other types of performance. I've done everything from theater to dance to I've written like a one man show. I've done drag. I've done weird creepy performance art, like just like kind of immersing yourself in experience and seeing like kind of what sticks and what speaks to you. I think that will help you in your path on trying to like kind of fully realize a vision and kind of see something from like every angle and how the audience would experience it. So kind of going back to what you said about an act scaling to the size of the the venue or the room or whatever. And I think for production, it's pretty similar, really that the production can really scale to whatever size event it is and ideally you reach an economy of scale where you don't need to add a lot more for a lot more people that's kind of our goal is always get to the point where you've got it you've got the fencing and the security and the stage sound lights and all that stuff but you can add now a thousand more people without having to add any more stuff and that's really where we shoot i would say travis i think we both kind of shoot for like not having to spend a ton more money for the people to have a similar experience right you know I think you're so right. I couldn't agree with you more that artists need to take advantage of anything that they can to better themselves in terms Mm -hmm. of performance because I'm just thinking about, and I mean, everybody has an off night, right? but I will never forget this Radiohead show that I saw once. It was right when OK Computer came out and they literally got on stage and played every note, note for note, Mm -hmm. never looked at the audience, never picked their heads up from their instruments. And at the end, Tom York goes, thank you. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I was so pissed. I walked out of there just enraged. And like, I still remember it. It was like 20 years ago because I was like, I paid 50 bucks for that ticket when I was like 20 something. I had like right. no money <laughs> and they didn't even try. You know, I felt like I could have stayed home and played the record. I was so angry about that. Now, granted, maybe they were all fighting. Like, I don't know right. what was happening in the band. They, <laughs> they just, just had a bad 20 day. nights in a row. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And they're just exhausted. Like, for sure. I get it now. Oh, I also once saw Pavement and they just told the audience the whole time like how dumb we were for having paid to see them. Oh my God. And I was like, well, I'll never see you again. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot of bad shows, apparently. But you know, it's like you really, you you can't do that to an audience because, you know, just as you'll remember a great show you saw forever, you will totally remember a terrible show that you saw. I've got a pretty good one from 2016 from What the Festival for folks that were there. We had a fight on stage. Oh, I was there for that, actually. Oh, it was, it was... (laughs) I mean, I think we've gotten more press for that than the yeah. event as a whole in a lot of ways. But this, this one act, and I'll just leave their name out, got up on stage at our splash pool stage and started, you know, just whatever was going on. They were kind of harassing the crowd and audio tech brings them a wireless mic and they're yelling in the mic and they end up throwing the microphone into the pool. Oh. And so then they, we give them another microphone and they're, you know, complaining and harassing the crowd. And finally the security is like on stage, like, you know, are we going to shut this down? What the hell is going on? they ended up really getting combative with security and pushing them. And next thing you know, there's a full-on fist fight going on. Yeah. And, you know, the guys are on the ground rolling around. They had this security guard in a headlock. Oh, my and, God. And uh, canceled the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, Whoa. you know, can't say we kissed and made up, but they definitely refunded us. And it was a problem uh, all around. So it can, go, it can go south. How was that as an audience member? <laughs> it was very remarkable. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it was happening at the time. And I've seen band heckle audiences before you know something that i never really ever (laughs) recommend i i don't know i think it's very like self-absorbed i think you need to give them something you know like you can't just get on stage and expect someone to like love you i think in the dj world they try to like one up each other yeah it's like who's got the more production or who's got the fatter bass track whatever it is i think there's a little bit of that going on but whatever it was for us it was saturday of the headlining of our yeah. whole year cycle, you know, and it's like, dude, totally. calm down about yourself and play the show, please. <laughs> On the one hand, you have to have an ego to be an artist. Right. You do. You can't not. I mean, you can't just be like completely self-effacing. You have to have, you, you have to believe that what you want to say is worth people True. paying money to hear. And so that's totally cool that you have an ego, but there has to be, you also have to, just like you said, you're giving people something. Yeah. They expect that they just, because they get on stage, you know, and fart or whatever, that someone's going to like, <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, I'm on stage, so you need to love me. You know, like you were saying with the DJ culture and stuff too, I find that in a lot of the festivals now, since they're so like mixed, there are different sorts of audience that you find yourself playing to that you wouldn't normally think are like your people per se. And I've spent plenty of time playing to like those audiences, but you're just 
adapt. You know, you come down to the level that they're on, you know, if they're like in a bobbin head level, you get on a bob your head level and keep it a little bit chiller and just connect with people the best you can, you know. There's no use in getting mad and heckling an audience and causing such an uproar no. over it. Yeah, totally. So Travis, do you have any any horror stories from your years you know, of that, production? That just brings to mind for me a lot of experiences where the artists are under the influence of mm. you know, drugs or alcohol and yeah. not necessarily they're getting angry or you know, inciting violence in the crowd, but they're just borderline on the ability to play. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've done quite a few shows where, but in most cases, the artist was kind of legendary for that. So right. when you talk to their management or their representatives at the show about it, they're reluctant to stop a show because they just kind of do that a lot of nights of the month. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, it just kind of brings to mind memories like that. I, I worked at the Crystal Ballroom for many years as the production manager there. And and so I had a lot of interaction with with that kind of kind of scene. But you know, we we get through them all, and right. they're memories, right? You know, I mean, for good or for for bad. They're good stories. Yeah, for sure. Good for sure. Sharpshooter by the Mary Timoney Band. Hey, Portland, join us for a live taping of The Future of What on February 26th at the Secret Society. Proceeds will benefit Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. Find more info on our Facebook page. See you there. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. I think I want to go back to what Shanti said a little bit about, you know, the ability to perform as a performer. And I think some artists have that really innately. And sometimes you can see somebody, like the first time I ever saw Colin Malloy from Decemberists was in 2001. And it was upstairs above a bar at a rock and swap <laughs> for like a bunch of record labels. And we were just like swapping records and talking. And he was just playing. And there were literally three other people in the room besides me. 
And I stayed for one song and then I ran downstairs and I was like, I grabbed my husband who was at the time running Kill Rock Stars and I was like, you have to come upstairs and right. see this guy play. And he was like, I'm talking to somebody. I don't want to. And I'm like, no, you have to. I, I just was like, this guy is undeniable right. to four people. Mm -hmm. His persona and his charisma and just the, the quality of the song. I was just like, what? And sometimes you see that. Yeah. And then it translates beautifully to, you know, once he had a band and he had seven people on stage with him and eventually they had backup singers and, you know, it was great. So sometimes it does happen like that. But in other times, people have to learn, mm -hmm. you know, you can have wonderful songs. You can be a fabulous songwriter. I remember, I think, who was it? It was Fiona Apple's first concert. Do you guys remember that? It was a legendary historical event in New York City where she came out, played two songs, burst into tears and left. <laughs> and that was her debut public performance because she Whoa. actually did her album in the studio without ever having played live. That. Yeah. <laughs> and she just was like, but she's, you know, she's, mm -hmm. she's managed to continue to have a Definitely. career and work on it. She and she did learn. And she did learn. You see people progress, you know, you see it in front of you all the time. Lots of artists that you saw, you know, years ago have become such consummate performers now and they weren't before. You know, mm -hmm. It's definitely a learnable skill, which, which is what I'm really trying to say. You know, you can do it. They just take some time, some effort, and maybe some resources. You know. Right. And also not, you know, from my perspective, it would be don't think you're all that yes. right away. Right. You know, make an effort. I wrote a song. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Your mom is like, congratulations. Nowadays, it's much more rare. Like nowadays, people make most of their money playing shows and, you know, selling merch and doing that kind of thing. So to see that, you know, people just create a great album and come out and play a show and fail, it's like, they sort of did it to themselves to some degree. Have you guys ever had those experiences, you guys who put on shows, have you ever had an artist come out that you really thought was going to be great and they just didn't bring it? Sure. I think, you know, as you touched on earlier, that could be as a result of an off night on tour. You're sick. You're on your third or fourth mm -hmm. show in a row without a day off. Or or it could just be that, yeah, they're just, a you know, the artist is better suited for studio work and and you know the what they can achieve in the studio versus what they can achieve live but i think all the circumstances are different you know you can kind of speculate on why a performance is is bad and mm -hmm. kind of guess but, mm -hmm. but yeah for sure we've had a few of those i'm just thinking my mind is racing i'm realizing how many <laughs> terrible shows i've seen and, and <laughs> it's <laughs> it's embarrassing but i realize it's like you gotta put it out there for people you know it's like going to see a show is so Mm -hmm. important you know and even some of the shows that i've seen that have been the biggest disasters have been really memorable in a good yeah. way like you're like i will never forget this band as long as i live like i once yeah. saw hole in 1991 in the back room of a bar in leeds england called the duke of york i think and it was crazy because at the time nirvana was really huge in england and they were on tv all the time and kurt cobain had gone on tv and said that Courtney Love of the excellent pop band Hole is the best <laughs> F in the world. And I had just seen that on TV on like Top of the Pops. And then she comes out on stage. She's like wrecked. And she's like just falling down. And she keeps saying to the mic like, I love Kurt more than he loves me. And it was just like, it was like one of the greatest, most insane experiences of my life. But I think because of like all the stuff that was going on. Yeah. And there were only like 20 other people in the room. So I'm really glad I saw that show, even though <laughs> musically it wasn't much to, to speak of. But I, what I'm trying to say is it makes a big difference in a fan's life, you know, yeah, and you I mean, have to think of that. You actually have a responsibility. You, do. you can encounter hurdles. You can be sick. You can be tired. You can be on day 20, but you have to find a way to connect. And honesty, definitely, you know, Courtney, she has that in spades. And that's a huge way, you know, to connect with people on stage. I personally don't really think that there's many excuses. If you are actually on stage and you've made it to the point where you're stepping on, there's not really much of an excuse to shut down or fall apart. Like you mm -hmm. have to find a way to do it. The show must go on, you know, it's, it's all you. Totally. <laughs> if you want this as a job. If you want mm -hmm. this as a job. yeah. Right. And this that's is. my refrain on this podcast constantly is like, listen, you got it. Musicians know thyself, right? Yeah. Do you want this as a job? The problem is this is not a job that's everyone's cut out for. No. Not every single person who ever picked up a guitar is actually a good career musician. They're just not because there's so many things. I mean, I'm going to interview Robin Hitchcock in like eight days. Robin Hitchcock started putting out albums 40 years ago and he still tours like eight months out of every year. He's 64 years old. Good for him. 
And you have yeah. to say to yourself, is this what I want to be doing right. when I'm 64 years old? Because that is where this thing is going, you know? And, and is that the job that you want? Right. And it's I hard think it's work. hard. It's hard work. It's really hard work. Hard. Yeah. But it's rewarding if this is what you want to do and this is how you want to express yourself. Right. Anyway, <laughs> back to touring, <laughs> back to concert, the concert experience. So, Travis, how long have you worked for True West? I've been with True West about two and a half years now. And is it, this is, I mean, production is like your, you love it. Yeah. My expertise is in production, but we, you know, we have a marketing department, ticketing department, booking, you know, we own the Aladdin. So when you speak to the older artists, that really came to mind as to how many of those artists we see in the year of, you know, they kind of just pull up in the rental car, get out with their acoustic guitar, come into the Aladdin and perform, but it's like their thing, you know, and it's pretty cool to see that. But yeah, my expertise is in production and my background is is in that. But now I kind of oversee all aspects of our company. But Were you a concert crazy kid? Like, did you go to see a lot of music as a I kid? I did, yeah. I did a lot of the jam band runs, uh, Grateful Dead and things like that. And Ooh, Fish and nice. Widespread Bandic and all that. But yeah, like a lot of people started stage handing at a young age and just evolved from there to, to be where I am now. So. Fantastic. And do you still love it? Do you still love the the hours and the work and the I do. Yeah. Yeah. I really I feel very blessed to do this for a living. And I am the opposite of a performer. I don't want to be on stage at all. And I think that's an important aspect to being successful in our position as producers is that we don't want to be the person on stage and we want to support the people on stage and we mm-hmm. want to help them execute their dream and vision and and I love that aspect. I also love the business aspect of it. I love doing all of the accounting and, and you know, how to be creative with promotion and, and all of those other things that we're involved with. So, yeah. You and me could totally bro down over accounting. I love accounting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> show settlements are always, they were always one of my favorite parts when I used to settle shows every night. And so, yeah. So funny. We just lost the rest of the audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> the necessary part. If you like performing, you got to like settling. <laughs> I know, right? Or get a manager real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shanti, do you guys, do you still do all that yourself? The All the money stuff too? I have some help, luckily. I don't like all that stuff at all. I love like the creative aspect. I will say that it's important to learn it and to, whether you love it or not, to get good at it as an artist. You know, you're going to find yourself in plenty of positions to do that even after you get help. So, I mean, it's something that you should know as an artist. So, yeah, I've done it plenty and I will probably continue to do it. And I'm appreciative for the help I have right now. Yeah, well, you're you're my number one favorite artist than we've ever had on the show as of this moment because you're saying that, which is, no, because it's totally true. I mean, if you don't know how to do it, because that's the thing, it's like you hear all these crazy stories about, you know, labels screwed me over and you know, whoever lost millions yeah. of dollars. And it's like, well, who's taking care of that money? Yeah. Are you, you're ultimately responsible yes. for knowing where your money's coming mm-hmm. from and who's yeah. dealing with it. Yeah, I definitely have my abacus out, you know. Exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> totally, lead pencil. <laughs> so what are you guys looking forward to for this, what the festival this year? 2017, well, now that it's 2017, we're looking forward to a fantastic year. We've upped our permit capacity this year. Last year we were at 7,500 people. This year we're at 9,000. And we went on sale um, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, and it's been out of the gate really, really strong. We've sold a considerable amount of tickets, more than we have in the past at this point. So we're, we're really excited for another successful year. What the festival sold out every year since its first year in 2012. And so we haven't found a sensitivity in the market yet to what the overall capacity will be. But we do know that we don't want to grow past the boutique kind of experience that we have. And our event's very curated towards an older demographic. We call it a summer camp for adults, a place for people to come and kind of get away from their jobs. A lot of our folks are professionals. They're young professionals. They're not kids. And they're out there to really just kind of unplug and have a good time. So we just want to keep encouraging that. Portland, Seattle, our regional markets, we really don't push super hard out. We've, we've learned the hard way not to like waste money running ads in LA, you know, and things like that. We really focus on the Northwest market and all the wonderful things we have here. So we're just kind of holding it down and uh, we don't want to become too big. We want to be that just that perfect size. And I think this year we got another shot at it to see how, how 9,000 feels. Wow. Do you guys have kids at your festival? We do not. We do not oh, allow I'm children. totally going to your festival. No children. We do uh, <laughs> babe in arms. Like if a patron really, really has to bring their baby or a staff member, we'll allow that. You know, little guys, no children, no lost child protocol, no lost parents, none of that stuff. It kind of makes it a little bit easier. I Yeah, I could really see. And as a parent, you you it's nice to get away from the kids mm-hmm. too you know it's not to mean not to like alienate to. that no. vibe at all it's more just like it's just another demographic it's a party 
It's right. a big festival. It's it's a remote festival. We're four days. We don't even encourage people to leave site. So, you know, having children, there's a whole other dynamic. And there's lots of great events that do that. And, and we totally are in support of those events. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, Pickathon is a, a blast. Yeah, and I love they that. They do that so well. And they do a great job. But yeah, it's it's an interesting that you guys are like party for adults. Yeah. I just like those words. I, I like, like to yeah. think about, oh, yeah. sorry, have to get a babysitter. Yeah. It's a party for adults. Okay. Hmm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> was Cream and Bastards Rise by Harvey Danger. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. So let's talk because a lot of the listeners to the show are either musicians who are kind of at the early stages of their career and some in later stages, but also younger people trying to get into the business. Can you give us, Travis, your take on on what 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 advice would you give to young people when they're thinking about, okay, how can I make my concert more of an experience? I think uh, just putting it all out there. I think, um, you know, some of the the best bands, I think, just started in a van trailer and just toured and just put it out there every night. You know, no matter what you're doing, whether it's, you know, electronic or rock or whatever, just, just go out and give 100% every time to whatever it is that you do and just stay out there on the grind. I think that you that's really where you learn the most is by just grinding it out and and coming up that way is is from that small level of touring through all the small rooms all the way up. That's when you really I think get get some of the best performances from artists that have come up in that way. Just through sheer experience and and touring and and working. Yep. Yeah, just the the more you can get in there and you know, there's some like my morning jacket comes to mind mm-hmm. for me as a band that you know I remember them playing Burbodies. 
and for Thrasher and and you know and just a band like that is just really come up through every stage and I think that 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 experience is very valuable and and you can just really feel it in their performances all the way up to today to their big production shows but but that would be my advice is just to get out there and play as much as you can and do do whatever you want to do and don't hold back and you know just just play live as much as you can you know I think that's uh it's really a way to to get there Peter what would you say I mean from like a, if you wanted to work in production from that kind of standpoint I think it's all about doing whatever you can do to get your foot in the door with these companies. And it takes, you know, when I'm looking to hire somebody, I've had the benefit of having done most of the jobs I'm hiring them to do. And so you can kind of see that, oh my gosh, this person is qualified for this great, you know, position down the road. But right now let's, let's, let's have them run merch and see how they do on that. Or let's, let's have this person do something really, you know, that is honestly entry level, but it allows them to gain their experience kind of like the same way. If you're going to be an upstarting band, you know, jump in your van, take your shows, don't worry about the money. I mean, ideally, don't worry about the money for the first while because that all comes later, you know, and so you got to just get out there and do it, do whatever job you can do, get in there, learn what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and then you kind of position your career from there. So you said something earlier that I thought was really true, and we haven't, like, focused on it before, which is that, you know, with the changing economy and the way that the industry, the way that artists make money, touring has become such a massive part Mm -hmm. of uh, an artist's income. So, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was possible to be an artist and pretty much make royalties and tour some of the time. But nowadays, you're looking at a significant portion of your time. You're going to be on tour because that's where the bulk of your income is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So with that, do you guys feel like you've seen people stepping up their game? Like, is there more competition at you know in the touring market for for eyeballs and for pe- getting people in the doors with like bigger and more exciting stage shows and and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's been good for our field though. Yeah. I mean, I you know I can speak for us as a relatively small regional promoter. Most of our mar- market is Portland and Seattle. You know, we're we're out there trying to you know go toe to toe with Live Nation and AEG all the time, and mm-hmm. and I think that the shift away from record sales has put everybody on the road more so that, you know, as you look at just the amphitheaters in the region, you know, we do the Oregon and Seattle Zoo, but there's Edgefield, Mary Moore, and all these uh, Chateau St. Michelle and all these others. And there's a kind of enough to go around now. You yeah, know, there's is. really enough artists on the road that every venue can have a really nice summer series. And, and I think it's been good for the consumer, good for both, you know, the large promoters and the local promoters. And, and yeah, I, th- I think it's been a good shift from our perspective. You know, it's in terms of the artist, I think, you know, it's probably harder to, to make that money on the road, make it through merchandise sales and other things like that. Those, those days of the 80s, I guess, when I think of bands, arena rock bands, Van Halen just being, you know, probably multimillionaires from one album release. So, mm-hmm. you know, those days are probably gone. But, yeah, I think it's a good thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I mean, I think that there's, I mean, even in Portland in the last 10 years, there's been so many new venues that have opened up. It's pretty impressive to see that. I don't find, we don't find much competition. I mean, the acts that are coming to us are usually looking for a routed date or they're, you know, the festival buying component, I think is actually, is pretty challenging. We're constantly going head to head with Live Nation, AEG and all them and bigger players. A lot of the acts that we would like to put in offers on are waiting to see if they're going to get an offer from one of these other larger events. And so we kind of end up getting but down a few rungs in the ladder, even though we're this, you know, unique breakout kind of brand or whatever. But it, you know, it, it's a challenge to incentivize the artists to come and play the event. On the local level, it's not. It's pretty much just, you know, this many tickets, this much money, this much budget for whatever else. But for the festival, it's, you have to really play the game and they have to be interested and they have to potentially give up other offers to come and play your event via the radius clause and those kinds of things. So it's, it's a whole complex animal that is, you know, as we grow, as our event grows in size, we get a little more clout, which is always great, but we're still up against the the big players, you know, nine times out of 10. And festivals have grown in proportion, right? I mean, we've really oh, seen an explosion crazy of festivals amount. lately. There's so many now. I mean, moving festival dates are like coveted dates. You don't give them up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, festival talent buying is a whole different game. I mean, the price points on festival buying is is way up there for artists compared to, you know, if you're playing the Oregon Zoo or Seattle Zoo or Edgefield, mm-hmm. you know, festival date commands way more money for the artist. So it's, yeah. it, that has become an interesting aspect of the industry is, mm-hmm. as, uh, yeah, they're just kind of seeing where they're getting routed through festivals and you know, it can make a lot more money. So. Right. And that's something, I mean, my understanding is you pretty much need to have a booking agent if you're going to get festivals, 
because that's one of those relationship things, right? right. Sean, when, do you guys have a booking agent now? We don't. We've been blessed enough to be able to play festivals, but yeah, it's in the works now. It's high, high on my list. So, yeah. yeah. But you see, that's, I mean, that's a testament to your live show. Right. Right. That people are like, oh, we got to have them, even right. though, you know, I don't know my buddy who I can put on speed dial and also get this <laughs> other big act at right. the same time, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of leverage that I assume goes on in the background. Totally. Oh, yeah. 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 That's very impressive. But that's something that you, eventually want right definitely because <laughs> booking your own shows i would say that's probably one of the hardest things to do as a an independent artist it definitely is it's not a position you really want to be in you don't want to be in a position to have to talk and negotiate for yourself and you know then because sometimes that's not like such a fun process and then you have to like play nice and all of that you want to be completely separated from that if you can mm-hmm. but i'll go ahead and say again you know, it's something that you should learn how to do, mm-hmm. learn how to speak for yourself as yeah. well and learn how to be diplomatic and be nice to everyone and to do it well, you know, so. Yeah, it builds character. It does. And it's also, <laughs> I, you know, I always feel very close to artists who can do that because I used to do, I used to book our own shows, but it was in the days before the internet. Yeah. So that's where you'd call and leave messages <laughs> and then hope that people called you back. It was, <laughs> I can't even believe we got stuff done then. But I guess we did. <laughs> Everybody had jobs. Yeah. So, fax machine. Oh, yeah. Fax machine. Do you know what's up? Here's a weird thing about fax machines, which I just used a fax machine today. So, I'm feeling really ancient. All of the old correspondence for Kill Rockstars 25 years ago was done on fax machines, and that paper fades. So, we have boxes of blank pieces of paper. <laughs> and I have no idea what could have. It's a good legal strategy. Right? (laughs) It just goes away after a certain... I was like, wow, that is a... Whose terrible idea was this? (laughs) He's disappearing ink on our contract. So who knows what I've got in the vault because it's all gone. (laughs) Well, you guys, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Future of What? Thank you. Yeah, thank Thank you guys. Thank you. This is great. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Colin Malloy, the Mary Timoney Band, Harvey Danger, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. <laughs>